Nice. It's me and you. This should be the potentially the third podcast we're doing. Um, but we just talk, we were t- just talking a little bit more about um, kind of the, the shakes and and our, the process we go through when we start anything new. I love starting something new because it, yeah. it just has a lot of energy with it. Yeah. And I, I imagine and I obsess. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, I've reached the place where I don't berate myself when I don't keep them things up. Yeah. But looking at it, you do reach a new baseline. And that's what we just said. Um, so change did come. Um, so yeah. today, right now, we're going to chat about a few things. Yeah. Um, and we're going to chat a little bit about your, your well, you. Sorry, not your anything. We're going to chat a little bit about you, um, your story, and maybe then the the evolution of how we reached towards recovery. Does that sound like yeah. a bit of a plan? We'll see where we go. Yeah, and if if we if we um, don't stick to that, I don't mind because sometimes I was thinking about this. I don't mind my my own story coming out in dribs and drabs as we either talk together or we talk yeah. to other people um, and with the podcast I'd also like to talk to some people that have some different views to us um, so that we don't end up breathing our own exhaust or preaching to the choir or whatever the analogy mm-hmm. is um, and so yeah I want to I want to cover some other subjects but in terms of that whole thing uh, just to finish off that conversation we were having the the thing about um, the shakes, so it's it's about these um, shakes that I'm drinking in order to lose weight. Where that came from, and one of the things that we turned that into were the six steps. Do you remember the six steps that yeah. we came up with? That came from me listening to a radio show. Was a radio four? It was a guy. Um, a professor from Newcastle University called Roy Taylor, who found a way. He said, if you if you lose 15 kilos, you can re- maybe reverse type 2 diabetes. And I'd had type 2 diabetes for 10 years at that point. I got a bit of inspiration from him. He had written a book, which I bought, so I got some information. Um, I became aware that it could be done. So I had a realisation moment. These, I'm reading from the six steps that you put together as a result of this conversation. Um, and then we, then, then I thought, well, I can do it. So I sought permission from Shelley as usual, um, and she helped me. And there was some element of validation in that as well. And then I had some support in terms of planning and preparation. We, you know, we got rid of all the crisps and the crap out of the house, and bought loads of these Exanti shakes. Um, and then we hit the go button. And I think in it's, it's an eight-week program three shakes a day and some vegetables and within I think about six weeks in I kind of tailed off but at that point I'd already lost about 10 or 12 kilos and Mm -hmm. my type 2 diabetes medication was no longer required and I've had about a year since then it was about lockdown last year that that, that I did this in fact it was the first day of Lent it was the 26th of February 2020 or something like that um, but then I, over Christmas, I got a bit complacent and I put some weight on. So I'm back on the shakes um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of feeling good. I've done it for a week. 
I've lost about three kilos. I'm, I'm down to 72 kilos. Um, my, my goal is 65 kilos. And then I'll be back to my, my best heroin chic ever. What I like, though, is you spend a lot of time putting your, yourself in the way of inspiration. So you're always listening to someone. And how, how do you find these nuggets? Because obviously I, I listen to a lot of the stuff. I, 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 I think I listen to YouTube and, and podcasts a lot. And very often you will come up with someone I've never heard of. And I think, and then I'm sold out on them. <laughs> how, how come you, you put yourself in the way of inspiration so much? I, I mean, that goes back to who I am as a person. So when I go back to the beginning of me, I've always been um, a little bit alternative. I've always been, you know, when, when I worked, I say work. So part of my story is that I come from a background where I was born into a Turkish family. I lived in London. I, I moved between cultures. Most of my friends were black. Um, uh, I kind of grew up in a sort of Turkish household that was like any other household, dysfunctional, uh, but ours was probably more dysfunctional than most. My dad went to prison um, for manslaughter when I was a little kid. My parents got divorced. I'd been kidnapped. Um, you know, all sorts of trauma were visited on us as a family by people who were traumatised themselves. So I'm not saying that with any judgment. But what it did was um, it kind of... I lived in left field, you know, people would talk about, um, oh, that idea's a bit left field. I was like the mayor of left field. You know, I was just, everything about us was slightly alternative. And also the group that I ran around with as I got older, <clears throat> we were involved in crime and drugs and um, doing things that were alternative. So I was always, I, I'd learned at a very early age, and I think this is probably you'd probably call it that kind of adaptive part of me. I'd, I'd learn how to fit in, 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 in different circumstances. And so part of fitting in is looking at maybe joining some disparate things together in order to make them um, work. So whether it was working out how to um, get by with someone who was angry or aggressive or whatever or whether it was learning how to solve some problem that could lead to an opportunity from a criminal perspective or via some other route I was always looking for solutions and so now that that, that skill that I developed and that I used in the wrong way is still a skill that I bring into my new life mm -hmm. um, and so being able to hear the alternative thing in, a, in, in something that people say, latching onto that and linking that with an idea in a totally separate field, in a totally, totally separate context from what it was said, I think has become uh, not as, it's a skill, but it's also an element of being intuitive, being, um, what's the word? Yeah, just being able to stitch stuff together. So, you know, and I've got some weird um, 
solutions in my head to things where I've put myself in, in front of that inspiration, like you say. Like I knew very early on when 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 credit cards, checks and credit cards were new, I knew how to take a signature off a credit card um, using a bit of Milton baby fluid. Um, I knew how to get a signature off a postal order that you could buy at the post office, take outside of the post office, get a bit of Wrigley's gum paper, transfer it onto the Wrigley's gum and then transfer it into a different, you know, uh, paying input so that you could do something, um, you know, you can move post office in relation to that. So I had all these um, situations in my head where I would use this opportunistic stuff. And, you know, I got nicked and got caught and got done for all sorts of things. But that skill remained and it's no longer a negative, it's a positive. And so, you know, listening to you yesterday, I did the training. Um, not yesterday, Wednesday at, you know, at YMCA in, in Crouch End. And I used some of the principles that I'd learned from you. You know, I was helping people to connect to who they are, to uh, become more aware of themselves. And I could almost hear your voice in my head <laughs> as I was doing some of the, some of the talking, but I'd made it my own, um, I'd taken it and I'd linked it to their circumstances and I'd made something new. Ooh. And so I guess, that's how I do it. And now we've got, we got amazing technology. So I can listen to people mm. you know, like Ernesto Ciroli on YouTube or mm. Sir Ken Robinson, who you know, sadly passed away last year, but a great educationalist or, you know, all sorts of, it's, mm. like, it's like having all these scholars as your mm. friends. I don't know them, but I can listen to them. You know, I can listen mm. to Jordan Peterson and listen to how he almost how he thinks as he talks, you know, um, very clever guy, but he's, he's actually, um, sometimes he says some surprising things and that sends me off on a different track. Mm. So I think it's part of my past and it's being constantly renewed in a new context, mm. in a current context. So I don't know how I do it. and I don't know why I do it, but mm. I do do it. And sometimes some, some good stuff comes of it. I think it's a, a massive skill, though, that being able to look at something a little bit differently is really what we're, we're hoping that people will find when they come with us. Because mm. we've been repeating the same behaviour for a long time mm. and we, we've discounted any other options. <laughs> and yet, let's become part of a, of a community. And maybe somebody noticed that they can look at something a little bit differently. And just, and we talk about the three degrees of change, you know, small changes, massive consequences. You've just described that perfectly, mm. um, you know, and, but you do it naturally, it's, it's kind of who you are. The other thing you just described as well yeah. was um, the, the, the process of, um, we share stuff. We talk, we talk about in terms of, we discuss, and share maps for thinking, you know. Let's have a, use, have a look at this map, we, we say. Um, but once you start using it, it becomes yours. And you just said that about, you know, the training you just delivered. You own it, you develop it in a way that I would never. Um, and that, that is the process of learning um, for us as individuals. So yeah, fantastic. Now, you've talked a little bit 
before you go on, I'd, I'd add a caveat in that, in that when you do stuff like that, when you're willing to go out on a limb and connect some disparate things together, and create something new, you've got to be prepared to fail and you've got to be prepared to look stupid. Because sometimes the things that come up, are, you know, are kind of a three-legged toy that doesn't, it, you know, when we, when we, when we do stuff, we, we, I think we go through a natural refining process that doesn't always, it's not always visible in the end product. Um, so the three degrees of change, you know, it's gone through uh, a, a few iterations before we showed it to the world, if you like. Um, but what we say is we, we want to get to failure quickly and cheaply. And, and actually, I think we're quite comfortable with the concept of things going wrong and then adjusting and adapting to a kind of new, you know, a bit like the two boats that we, you know, we took a picture of the two boats, one's on a dock that's fixed and the other one's on a dock that's got uh, a pontoon that's on a float so it can go up and down. I think we do that naturally as a, mm. as a group and certainly as a pair, me and you, I think are willing to adapt and shift and mm. get to something. So. That's the well, we, we, we start things when we haven't got the full picture. Um, <laughs> we go, look, okay. this seems a good starting point. Yeah. Let's see where it goes. And you're right. You know, I've, I've, I've often thought about, you know, you, you say that quite a lot. Let's get the failure quickly. Um, and, and it's become to mean more the, the more we've used it. Yeah. But failure doesn't mean starting again. Actually, yeah. it means refining. Yeah, because people, people get it the wrong way around. If you say to yeah. some people, let's get to failure quickly, they're almost horrified. They're saying, you know, are you trying to make something fail? Do you think mm. that little of yourself that you, you think that what you're doing is not worth it and it's going to fail and you want to get there quickly so you can run off? Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean that at all. You're right. It means getting to a point where some refining needs to occur, mm. some adjusting. You know? and finding the bits which don't work. So move on because there's lots out there. Um, so you mentioned bits about your journey. Would you like to, do, do, should we speak a little bit more about that or about the moment that brought you um, kind of to birth the idea of towards recovery? Because you, you've got a long history and it's, yeah. I mean, you could write a book, um, you know, I'd, I'd read it. Um, you're a, a significant influencer to me. Um, you know, I'm vegetarian because you first started doing it. I, I, I looked at juices because you started doing it as well. <laughs> you know, I have, um, I'll, I'll try different things out that you do. But um, Let, let's do the towards recovery bit, I think, because some of, some of my story might come out in that. And actually, my, my story, in some ways, it's... I think you're, I've, been, I've been starting to write a book. I've been doing it in five-year chunks and trying to do it, but I can never get, you know, it just feels like the longer I leave it, the more stuff there is to put in it. And the more I do, the more I remember, you know. Um, you know, eat, just weird stuff, you know, remembering that at, at, I think at about six or seven, I was in Wormwood Scrubs and visiting my dad. Um, and while I was in the closed visit section, the guy that I was with, um visiting my dad who, who i called uncle wasn't actually a real uncle but we called him uncle he was a friend of the family another visitor came across and stabbed him in the head while we were in wormwood scrubs in in the closed visit section 
pandemonium ensued. I'm very little. Grew up, forgot all about that. And at 40 years old, I'm the area drug coordinator for the London prisons. I'm in Wormwood Scrubs. My first two weeks on the job working for the prison service. I've got a suit on, keys, and I'm senior enough to be allowed a phone in Wormwood Scrubs prison in about 2004, this was. Um, the, the governor, the chief medical officer, and certain others were allowed a phone. You know, you show it on reception, uh, you've got no charger, all the rest of it, uh, and then you show it on the way out. I went into the closed close visit section as part of my induction and was immediately transported back to being seven or eight years old, being next to my uh, uncle Kenny, who, who was visiting my dad with me, and he got stabbed in the head and it came flooding back. And I nearly broke down and cried, but I took out my phone and pretended to make a call and said to the prison officers that were with me, I won't be a minute. And I just stood in the corner and thought, compose yourself. Because you, you, you know, people are looking to you. You're, you're senior. You're, you're the area drugs mm -hmm. coordinator for the London prisons. For goodness' sake, come on, get it together. But I was suddenly transported. So things like that, you know. Um, if I start talking about my story, just it just ends up with a series of events that seem more incredible than the last. And I, I almost, at fifty-seven years of age now, I almost question whether my memory's real. You know, whether it happened to me or whether I just saw it in a film. Anyway. So the towards recovery bit, let's let's stick to that because that's that's more current. What I'd be interested in, though, is to set the scene. What was happening in life just before that opportunity came up or that that thought burst in? Burst in? Can you can you place it? What do you mean? The um, so before the conversation with the police officer. Oh right, right with the, about, the for towards, towards recovery. recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was what was going on? Where were you at? What was happening with family? you know okay. all, all that kind of stuff so towards recovery um came about because i was i think i was walking milo on the wreck at the bottom of our road and i bumped into a woman um called pc sims vicky sims and she was she was recounting an incident that happened on the estate where i live gainsborough hill um in henry i think up until that point i'm not sure what was going on beforehand. I think, um, so 2012, I would have been freelance by then. Um, it's probably, yeah, it's probably early 2012. I can't remember exactly what was happening. I was definitely freelance. I've been freelance since 2007, when I left the civil service. Um, I freelanced for two years and then in 2009, I created Green Apple Consulting and started to, consolidate some of my freelancing work and I was work I was busy um, and so walking Milo down the wreck was a bit of you know a bit of luxury um, it was really nice to just be able to go out in the middle of the day walk the dog um, so I didn't have a, a, a my routine was that I mainly worked from home I mainly worked on a laptop and a phone and I visited clients from time to time 2012 I would have been working for Buckinghamshire um, as, as their adult substance misuse commissioner, uh, services commissioner. And I probably would have still been at Surrey. I was their drug, act, uh, drug action team coordinator for a while, but I held three or four different jobs there. 
um, including some supply reduction work as well as treatment work. And there was probably a couple of other bits going on. Um, in Family-wise, kids would have been at school, they would have still been at home. Um, you know, life was good in some ways. Um, and then I spoke to this lady and she said, there'd been various um, people knocking on doors around Gainsborough Hill. Gainsborough Hill is a council estate within Henley. And we bought a house there in 1992 when we got married. So we got this ex-council house we're living in. It's a lovely place. Um, and Henley's big on Henley in bloom every year. They like to make the place look good and, you know, um, for people to say how wonderful Henley is. And so then there, there was a, a politician, a journalist, a police, senior police person and someone else, maybe a, uh, maybe a couple of councillors from the, the parish council or the town council knocking on people's doors, talking about Henley and Bloom and, and you know, the Henley standard were there to cover the reactions. And one of the ladies said, never mind bloody Henley and Bloom, what are you going to do about all the drug dealing and the drug use going on round here? And it sort of sent, sent a shot across everyone's bowels and it created a load of uh, activity. Some of that activity, which I was actually against, and I ended up um, having a right old row with the area commander at the time, a guy called and, uh, Andy Boyd, I think his name was. I ended up getting a, a meeting with him and we basically, I just argued with him for an hour and a half. Uh, and then he asked me a question that pushed me to speak differently to him. But in the interim, so Vicky was saying to me what had happened. And, and I said, rather than, you know, that's awful. What are the police gonna do about it? What are the council gonna do about it? What is someone else gonna do about it? Um, I had the thought, we should do something. We should start something. I, I'm in recovery. I know how addiction and recovery works. I commission services. I do all sorts of mm. stuff in that field. Why don't I try and think of something? And at the time I was thinking maybe a group or some way of making myself visible um, as a person in recovery, as a bit of a solution um, to some of the problems that she was outlining. But obviously other people had written to the police and had written to the council. And so we had increased patrols on my road um, in, and around our estate particularly by some officers who came from Reading and other parts of Henley, who were, um, I wouldn't say that they were very sensitive to the, to the kind of local indigenous council population. They treat, you know, if, if the police car was coming up the road and I was coming down the road, they would wait for me to back up the hill um, so that they could come up. And there were times when I remember inhabiting my old thinking and thinking, I'm going to get out of the car in a minute and I'm going to tell them to move and they can arrest me. And we're going to have um, a right old scene here in a minute because they're being out of order. They're acting aggressively. Anyway, it, I kind of bit my lip and this was going on more and more. And then my son was getting stopped and other people were getting stopped and, and they had this kind of enforcement view of how to solve this problem while I was trying to work out a group or something that we could do that would have been a bit more kinder, a bit more engaging. 
Anyway, in this, I, I wrote to the chief constable at the time in Thames Valley, Sarah, I can't remember her last name now, but I... I Is that Thornton? Sarah Thornton. Yeah. I remember meeting her when, when I worked in a prison service. She was, uh, she, was area, uh, she was an area commander, I think, or some definitely part of the top brass when I worked in Slough doing arrest referral work. But yeah. By the time I'd got to the prison service, um, I saw her once at prison service headquarters and she was lost looking for a professional standards unit within the, the prison service headquarters. And I showed her the way and dropped her off and carried about went on about my business. So I thought, well, I know her a little bit. So I'll write to her and say, your officers are out of control. You know, they're not doing, they're not implementing the law even handedly. They're coming around my estate um, and they're making us feel resentful. And they were talking about getting CCTV and I'd threatened if they did that, I would seek a judicial review and, you know, just kind of just let them have it, but in words. This isn't where I thought this would go. I thought I'd talk about something completely different. So anyway, the upshot was um, I made enough noise by writing emails and stuff that this guy called Andy Boyd wanted to talk to me. And so we had a conversation and I'd prepped for the for the meeting as if I was going to a commissioning meeting about supply reduction. And I just argued with him for the whole time until he said to me, we stopped arguing. We got to a point where I thought this is getting nowhere and I'm being quite rude now. Um, and he said to me, tell me a little bit about you. Where, where do you come from? What do you do? And I, I started to tell him my recovery story. Um, and he told me a story about himself, you know, as a young man in Oxford, getting into trouble. And, um, and then one day, decide, his friends decided to do something. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And some of his friends got arrested and he didn't. And that was a pivotal moment for him. Mm -hmm. And he ended up, his life took a different path. And I suddenly felt a connection to this guy who I saw, you know, because I'd worked with the police. I'd done all sorts of stuff with the police at that point. By then, um, 2012, I'd, I'd helped Surrey police win um, a Tilly Award for problem solving policing by introducing a whole new Operation Guardian, we called it. It's like an umbrella op for all their, um, all, all their undercover supply reduction work. I did it with, with a, a detective chief superintendent called Kevin Dinas. So I was used to working with the police, but when it was on my doorstep and when drug use was on my doorstep, it was really uncomfortable. Anyway, we got past this and it, it gave me more fuel to get something up and running in Henley. And so as part of those deliberations, I was sitting in the church cafe in Henley and I thought cafes are where people come to relax. Um, and I really liked being in there. And I thought, you know, who's got money to buy a cafe? You know, we just want to start a group. And then I suddenly looked around me and I realised that the church cafe had gone through a really nice renovation. And I just thought, I wonder if we could rent this and, and do a maybe once a month type group here. And then we thought maybe we could we could do a cafe. That'd be good because then it's not going to be like a group. People could just come. And we didn't. It's like what you said. We didn't know the end at the beginning. We just had enough information to get going. So I spoke to the church um and said can we rent this from you commercially i was a member of that church so i said actually this is about recovery it's not a snatch squad for sunday morning so 
we're not gonna if i see anyone coming in unnaturally steering the conversation towards god or jesus or evangelism i'm gonna ban them you know even though i'm a christian and i'm a member of the church that's not what this is about it's about recovery and people need to feel safe coming here that they're not gonna there's not some ulterior motive or agenda and so that's what we did you know we we had a bit of money we're in we're all working um green apple i used to get about 1500 pound a quarter um for expenses for car parks and mileage and lunches and stuff that i would buy and, and have receipts for and i put one quarter of my expenses for the year into setting up towards recovery at that point it was a spin-off of green apple so we justified it by um, being able to claim the expenses through green apple and we started the cafe jasmine got involved and printed some stand you know like those um what they called those umbrella type things that come oh, up. Yeah, yeah yeah um we got some bit of branding going you know we we faffed about with some website stuff um jasmine sort of helped us turn the idea into something that looked real and we started and, and we started having these monthly cafes we started with an event and we got some we, we knew someone in Wickham. I like Jamaican food. So we got some curry goat and rice uh, from my sister-in-law, Sharon's mums. And we made a go of it and we invited people and people came. You know, we had you and people came from London. Um, I remember Viv Moon was there, Junior, a guy called Junior Shabazz. Um, Mick Madden was alive and came at the time and a load of people from the Lee. Um, and we just had and friends and family were there as well. And so we had this gathering that was weird. And at the time, we also filmed. I did a bit of a speech bit, you know, because it was a, a beginning of something. It feels good to mark it with a speech. And we've got that on film. And we also asked people to go into um, the main church hall where we'd set up a little corner and we filmed them saying, you know, why are you here? What does this mean to you? And, and we've got those on film as well. So we're, at some point, wow. we should put that out there because we've got it on film. And I think we've got it on YouTube. Some, on, on the, it might be on the Green Apple YouTube channel, but the YouTube channels are a mess at the moment. So we, Jasmine needs to sort them out because I've started a few. And she started one for us and, and I've messed up all the electronics as much as I can, which is my way. Um, but we've got, you know, we've got all our conference stuff on there, but that's where we started. It was a conversation, it was a bit of turbulence, and then coming out of the other end of that turbulence, there was a bit of calm waters, mm. and suddenly something good came out of the other end. Mm. And here we are in 2021, nearly 10 years old, you know, um, mm. from, that, from that moment. Um, and, and different. And, and very different. Grown. Yeah. Yeah, and not not a tea well not quite a teenager um <laughs> you know you, you know we're just thinking about how thing how children grow up you yeah. know those early days could have been like the 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 puppy you know had lots of energy uh running around it really does feel like towards recovery um is substantial in terms of how it does stuff, what it stands for. I mean, it's still getting to know what it is, mm. um, but the beginnings of anything is really important. And it was born out of 
um, a problem solving, um, looking for good justice, um, looking for recognition of um, purpose and worth in people saying, actually, we can do something. You know, what you said about what are the police going to do, what are the council going to do, the resource of the people, and we, we forget that. Um, but that is one of the principles that Towards Recovery is on. It's about the, the people who connect within that process. Yeah. So the, the beginnings are, are all always really, really important. I do have one other question that I wanted to ask you. And you, you're, you're great at thinking on your feet. What do you hope that people find from being connected with Towards Recovery? I guess when people come, either come through the door of an event or a cafe night that we're running or, I mean, less so when it comes to the electronic communications, I think that's going to improve. Um, I, I want people to feel at home, accepted, um, safe. You know, I, th that starting point that they're one of the reasons we went for the cafe when we were able more and more to articulate why we were doing what we were doing and we didn't start a group let's say um was when you walk into a cafe let's say me and you meet for coffee you know you've got the tension of getting there on time getting parked i always go to the wrong car park i always park in the wrong part of the car park and so the the walk to the coffee shop is a little bit longer and a little bit more convoluted than it needs to be. Um, have I got the change? Have I got? Have I remembered my wallet? All of that. Um, I'm worried if I'm going to be late. And then we get to the coffee shop. But when we get there and I see you or, or you see the person you're meeting, you kind of instantly relax and think, oh, you know, mm. and, and I want people to feel like that when they discover us, that they've that they suddenly that they feel safe they feel welcome they feel accepted and then i read something today um normally a first impression is a good impression i'm, I'm rereading the count of monte cristo the kind of full unabridged version um which is it's a basically it's a thousand pages long i'm, I'm 300 pages into it and there's there's a bit today that i read that stuck out with me and it said on second glance, there appeared more quality than at the first glance. Um, it, it was a situation where someone had gone into a room and they saw a really opulently lovely room. Um, but on second glance, it was even better than they thought it was the first time. And, and I really like that because often I, I, in, the, in the world of consulting or business or even, you know, addiction therapy or whatever you know whatever we do first impressions count and, we, and everyone wants to make a good first impression but it's it's a rare thing that when you get a good first impression that your second impression finds even more quality than, than you saw usually the first impression allows you to mitigate any imperfections that you find on second glance yeah. You know, you're, you're apologizing for the first impression. Yeah. And so even so, sometimes when you scratch the surface of an organization, the 
I've got a saying, you know, sometimes you scratch the surface of, of an organization, it breaks your nails because it's so tough. It's got such a tough, tough exterior. And others, when you scratch them, you find quality underneath that first exterior. That's kind of my own version of what I read today. Um, and I, I want Towards Recovery to be like that. You know, our, our, our website's not that great. Our, it's getting better, but it's, it's sort of grown like Topsy and I've messed about with it. Um, but when people find us, I want them to be, to feel accepted and at home and safe. I want them to be surprised. Um, I want them to get something that, that no one else gives. You know, that's, that's why we do things like three degrees of change and, and we're currently grappling with the school of unlearning um, and why we did the comedy course um, and why we've done um, an evening with where we get people to come and do their inspirational stories and, and why we do the virtual recovery cafe and, and how seeing how that's growing. Um, I want people to be surprised by what they find and, and pleasantly so, not to be surprised that we're just like everyone else and, and that first impression was actually um, somehow a disguise for the usual shit that goes on you know, <laughs> underneath the surface that somehow they see us and they think god he's not you know i always describe us as being um underwhelming or small or you know we don't own a building we haven't really got many assets but that belies the value that is kind yeah. of potential in us and so when people engage with us I mean, I did this training the other day and it was I did it under my own steam because um, I needed to get paid for it. But I used a lot of, you know, kind of uh, there was a lot of cross pollinization between my own journey and towards recovery. And at the end of the and I was really scared because I thought, how am I going to fill a whole day? I'm not a trainer. You know, um, anyway. At the end of the first session, people were coming up to me going, this is amazing. This feels like a cross between training and therapy. Um, and at the end of the day, I got a, I got a call from uh, Chris Robbins, who was the one that organized the training with them. And he said, um, I'm going to swear, so I apologize. He said, fucking hell, saying. He said, like, it's amazing. The feedback I'm getting is like, what did you do? What did you do? And I said, I don't know. Was it all right? I was still unsure whether what I was doing was acceptable. But the feedback he got and that he was giving me was that it was really good. Uh, and I felt really encouraged and buoyed up by that. Um, but I also think the other angle of Towards Recovery is that we don't, and this might be a script that I'm linked to, we don't think more of ourselves than we ought to. We don't get arrogant. We don't adopt the expert position. Even though we might have expertise and we might have a lot of experience, we don't set ourselves up as kind of know-it-alls. You know, I, I've, I've helped people get jobs in the drug and alcohol treatment field. I'm uh, thinking of one person in particular at the moment. I won't mention their name. But I remember helping them to even begin to understand how to apply for the job and whether they had any transferable skills. They applied for the job. Um, I advised them through the interview. They got through. They got the job. I met them about a month after they started work. And I thought, suddenly they were like an expert. They were telling everyone what to do um, as if they'd been doing it for years. And, and I just thought to myself, that's, that's too much of a transformation. That person is 
is walking towards a precipice and they don't know it. Um, you know, because I think because we are, we can be a humble organization. I know I'm not humble. You know, I, I, I've gone to meetings with people um, and I, I, I've seen how wielding power can corrupt you and hurt the people around you. You know, working in the prison service, you don't, it's not a pleasant, you know, happy, clappy um, environment. It's very rule bound and it's full of tough people that appreciate tough boundaries. Um, but somehow you can still be kind in that environment. And I guess that's the other thing I, I think for us is I'd like us to be kind. You know, I'd like us to cultivate citizenship and not breed a client list of people that need to be subservient to us or, um, you know, we, we, we're not, we're, we're seeing people as assets in their own right. And we're trying to help them to grow in whatever way they want to grow. Not so that we can wheel them out and say, look, our, our way works, fund us. What we're doing is sort of trying to say, you know, look what you've done through your own efforts and look at where you are. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm not explaining myself properly. But no, I think you're, you're explaining kind of the, um, the spirit of Towards Recovery very well. Um, we've often talked about the organisation needing to have a lack of ego yeah um and that's what you're explaining and the reason that your training went so well the other day um look you're full of knowledge you're 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 a clever fella but what people responded to was being cured they felt connected um and that's what you did incredibly well on that day yeah, yeah. um and that's what we we like to do uh, towards recovery you know, we don't say these are the answers. We say, have a look at this. What do you think? Yeah. And then we will spend time together looking at that. And that is a brilliant place to start. Um, and maybe we'll always feel like we're starting because from every group, from every conversation, we change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been something we've, we've tried to hold on to. Mm. Um, so actually, that's quite a lot that we've just covered. Yeah, there. yeah. But as always, it's a pleasure yeah. to speak. Um, I'll have to connect with you. We'll have to take a walk by the river. I am coming over yeah. tomorrow for a long run um, okay. over in Henley to okay. keep on training. Um, but I think we'll wrap it up there. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Justin. No worries. Okay.